Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. If you're looking for a change in your life, if you're looking for that kind of like, you need to make a few decisions, geez, what better way to do it than to let yourself through the ringer and come out the other side and maybe you'll get the answer somewhere there in the middle. You're listening to Brian Bateson, who started working for Earth's Edge back in 2016 and is now one of our most experienced guides. We talk about Brian's journey from working in an office in Dublin to starting his own climbing company and now working full-time in the outdoor industry. I start out by asking Brian about his background and how he got into the outdoors. I'm originally from Kildare, from out in the Sticks in Kildare. Went to school in Kildare and then went to college in Carlow and kind of dropped out after first year, didn't really want to be in college and went to Dublin, started working in, in an office and on and off, worked in an office for about 10 years. Never really enjoyed it, never really knew what I really wanted to do with myself, but had no other options. So I just kept doing the same old thing. And then when I was 30, I went to La Hinch and I uh, went for a surf on my 30th birthday. And on the drive home, I kind of thought, you know what, there's got to be more to life than just working and making a few quid and going on beer. Kind of quit my job a few weeks later, took a few months off, kind of took this circuitous route to getting into the outdoors. But yeah, took a few months off, did a bit of traveling, moved to London for a while and worked with my brother. And then came home to Ireland and started um, working in the outdoors in a surf school. Sort of like just washing wetsuits and handing out rental boards and stuff like that. I hadn't the first notion about surfing. But uh, yeah, I thought I did. Um, but went back to college then that winter uh, to work to train as an outdoor instructor. And kind of took it from there, yeah. Continued working for other people for about four or five years in the outdoor industry. And then set up working for myself, set up my own company. And yeah, that's been going for about five years now do a bit of work for myself and then freelance for people like our age. So. Did you like going on adventures when you were a kid, like in, growing up in Kildare? Yeah, for sure. Actually, we would have gone over to, to Wicklow most weekends if, if my dad was off. He would have brought us over to, uh, to Wicklow. We would have just, um, I don't know, they had pitched up uh, a couple of deck chairs beside the river and let me and my brother uh, sort of explore the forests and the hills and, and the river not too far from them. We definitely weren't going very high. When I think about it now, we were probably like 50 meters from the car. But, you know, when you're six and seven and you're you're cr- scrambling around the, the hills of Wicklow, you think you're you think you're out in the pure wild. Yeah, so definitely there was like a real love for the outdoors sort of passed down from our folks. And then when I was a teenager, we went to uh, we went to ACO Outdoor Adventure Center as part of, part of second year in school. And it was like a proper, you know, school trip to an adventure center. We went surfing, kayaking bit of abseiling, some rock climbing, all that sort of stuff. I was definitely bitten by the bug then. I know I was because I went back for my own the following summer. I went back sort of like my parents let me go to Ackle Adventure Centre on my own for seven days. And then same thing again, hiking, orienteering, kayaking. And I kind of came back and was like, that's that's what I'm going to do in my life. You know, I'm going to be an outdoor activity instructor. But mid-90s in Kildare, like they're really, you know, it just wasn't accessible. There was probably one college course in the country at the time. 
I didn't have a first clue about how to start or get into it. And then, you know, it just kind of suppressed that. I guess the country was starting to get into the Celtic Tiger around the, the end of the 90s. Jobs in offices in Dublin were like 10 a penny and it just seemed like there was going to be good money in it and there was going to be a career in it. And uh, yeah, I went with that instead. So yeah, it took me like 10 years. I didn't do anything throughout my 20s outdoorsy. Might have went to the gym to keep fit, but like literally nothing. Not one thing outdoorsy for my entire 20s. And then I had this complete like revelation on my 30th birthday that I should have been doing this my whole life as opposed to other things. So like, tell us about the kind of work you were doing in the office in Dublin. And then when you went to London, like what kind of stuff were you doing and what was it that you didn't feel really agreed with you? Well, I guess being indoors all day never really agreed with me anyway. I don't know how it took me 10 years to get there. Um, but yeah, I just didn't like being indoors for a start. I'd worked part-time in a garden centre when I was a teenager as well. I really liked that. And in fact, I'd considered doing that as a, as a career. I was going to be a gardener. Like I really, really enjoyed that. Really loved the outdoors. So, yeah, I don't know why I went indoors for 10 years. But uh, so definitely the indoor stuff definitely put me off. But then it just also seemed a bit like, I don't know, pointless. Like what was the, what was the point of it? You never got through your workload. You were working for this large, or I was working for this large business that, you know, I was just another cog in the wheel. I didn't really see any value in the job itself or, or in me in that place. I need to feel valued in my work or I need to feel like I'm appreciated in my work in order for me to actually thrive at work. Definitely, yeah. I was just working for a, for a bank and I was uh, working for them in their, in their legal department. But like I didn't have any other qualifications, didn't know what to do with myself, so kind of just stayed there. Um, and then when I went to London, I was working for my brother, he's a builder, uh, and I was working on building sites with him, which was a big shock from like 10 years sitting on my sitting my ass in front of the computer to being on a, a building site. But I actually really liked it. I liked it because, you know, it's a different place every day. You're meeting new people every day. There's a bit of physical labor involved in it. It's a real sense of satisfaction at the end of the day that you could see the tangible work that you got done, you know. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like working in the outdoors. You, know? you, can, you meet new people every day. You're someone new every day. Your, your work is tangible. It's a lot of parallels, but I don't think I was built for the building site from that. <laughs> I don't know. I'd take, I'd take uh, climbing mountains any day over working on the building site. That's really interesting. So you were saying that like you um, got that first job in La Hinch and you were washing wetsuits. Like I think a lot of people in the outdoor industry, they've started at the bottom and, and done all those kind of sessions. You know, I remember when I first started working as a kayak guide, that was, I was so young. I was like the designated dude to wash the, the wetsuits every day, you know, which is not the most glamorous job. But um, talk to me about your journey from there in the outdoor industry up to, you know, starting climate and what you're doing now, because it's something that uh, we get asked a lot and I get asked a lot from clients on trips, like who, you know, maybe are working in an office and they're like, how do you get into this industry and, and work full time? Because everyone has a different route. So just be really interested to, to hear about your journey. So, yeah, I went back and started working in this surf school, uh, Ben Surf Clinic in La Hinge. And, like, I was under no illusion in my place in the company, you know, I was the guy to wash the wetsuits and handed out the rental boards. Kind of, like, took a few bookings on the phone. I loved it, like, um, working with a real cool group of guys, uh, some of my best friends now. I live in La Hinge now, or I stayed in La Hinge after, uh, after working. Bought a house here last year, so, yeah, it's definitely my home for, for the rest of my life. But, yeah, th those guys are some of my best, my best friends now. I guess I was lucky in that I had no mortgage. I had no dependents. I had no bills to pay other than my rent. So I could afford to like completely give up my job and go back and do this kind of like seasonal job. 
So yeah, I think with some people that might have commitments or they might think that they have commitments or a need to have a certain amount of money, I realized quite quickly, well, it's not like the surf school didn't pay me wages. You know, I certainly got paid for my time there. I realized that I didn't actually need any money or you know, so much material things in my life if I, uh, if I was just doing something that I really liked. Definitely, I was making a few quid, but like money was never the never the point of it all. I was just really enjoying myself, and life was melting into work, and work was melting into life, and it's kind of like just this just this cool time working in a surf school in the summer in the west coast of Ireland. You know, it was really cool. You know, obviously there wasn't a career trajectory in just like washing wetsuits. So my boss at the time suggested, and my brother suggested going to Kerry to do this course in Lee Outdoor Adventure Centre, and it's like a one at the time it was a one year course. Um, now it's a two year course, but it basically gives you all your like basic mountain skills courses basic rock climbing instructor basic kayak instructor awards so you get all the training and then get all the consolidation and then go back to your assessment at the end of the year and hopefully pass all your exams and you'd be you'd be like entry-level instructor dude you know you'd be kind of but you know it was a place to start but what I did I went back to the surf school and worked for worked for the season again and then each winter I would go and get another qualification another qualification so yeah just working summers and, and maybe spring and autumn really hard saving up money to do qualifications and and probably a short period of time I got quite a lot of extra qualifications like my mountain leader went on and got my mountaineering instructor award or it's now called the mountaineering and climbing instructor um, and around about the same time as I was doing that I realized you know I'm a bit too overqualified to work for someone else here and also like I've, I've very much specialized in mountaineering and climbing here whereas working in an adventure center isn't going to give me the kind of work I want or isn't going to use the skills that I learned or the knowledge that I learned to the best of its abilities. So I kind of figured the only place to go was to go out on my own. If I wanted to stay in Ireland, it was to go out on my own. There are a couple of places in England where you would definitely get work as a, or sorry, in the UK, uh, Wales, Scotland, England, um, where you get work as a as an MIA. But, you know, in Ireland, you, you pretty much got to be a sole trader um, working for yourself, I think, to, to make it work. The kind of rest is history. Um, a slow start, but a long, slow start as any company would be. But uh, yeah, got a couple of lucky breaks along the way from yourselves. Um, that was one of the pivotal things uh, that sort of helped me establishing the business and let me get my name out there a bit. Just slowly built up the business and my own client base. And uh, yeah, it's taken off in the last year or two. I find that sometimes people can do one of those outdoor education courses and start working in a center. But what is it do you think that takes to kind of get on and get those extra qualifications like your your mountain leading your your climbing qualifications like what would you say to someone who's let's say done those entry-level qualifications but wants to kick on and, and build a sustainable career in the outdoors which is a really tough thing to do like what would you think the key to that success is for you for me it was always that I was like super passionate about climbing and mountaineering like I was given advice early on that I shouldn't specialize that I should try have lots of skills at lots of different activities so that I get work in a center and for me that was like too narrow a vision um that like there was definitely going to be a market for like a specialized person dealing to to just that one area so I, I was never a great kayaker anyway I was never super passionate about it like I was about climbing and I always remember when I was in those outdoor centers as a teenager like I, I was influenced by the instructors who were super passionate I wasn't so influenced by the ones that were just going through the motions of a day job so I figured I'd try specializing and I kind of knew at some stage I was going to have to go my own way and break off from, from the adventure center scene to do that. Um, There's a few people like, I guess, Ben in himself had done it with the surf school. He'd come through the adventure center scene up in Connemara, uh, Killary and um, Delphi, I think. 
And then he set up a surf school and then he kind of, as he got bigger, he turned it into a, a bit more of an adventure center with other, with other um, activities. But, you know, it was the surfing school that like really made his name. It's what he really enjoyed the most. So I kind of seen that model work for him and I want to copy that model. You know, I see a lot of people do these courses. They think that it's going to be one thing. You know, they, they, they think that their, their working life is going to be one way. Like they're going to be having fun kayaking or surfing or climbing all the time when it's not that like you're bringing other people doing these sports and you get to instruct and watch but rarely rarely does a good instructor actually get to participate in the actual activity themselves they're so busy working so i think people think it's going to be something other than it is um and then they might get a bit downhearted so yeah i think people might get into it thinking they want one thing and, and really they wanted another thing I think you need to have a passion for for other people in our line of work. Really want to see them grow and develop is a, is a key part of it as well. Yeah, it's not just about the personal for you as the instructor or the guide. It's got to be about like what you're doing for other people. So, Kamir, you're one of our most experienced guides now, man. How many trips have you done with Earth's Edge? Fifteen, but in a short period of time, I would say, in probably three and a half years. Tell us um, how you came to work with Earth's Edge. Um, it's kind of funny. So, this lady called Mary Fitz, lovely lady. She told me that if I, she knew I was training for my ML, and she told me if, if I got my ML, that she should get in, that I should get in touch with her friend James. And I was like, oh yeah, and she said, oh, he'll probably have a bit of work for you. I was like, cool. Well, you're, you know, I must speak to your friend James at some stage. You know, not knowing who James was, I went and got my ML and passed uh, my mountain leader. And Mary bumped into me and she said, oh yeah, you must pass your pass your details on to James. And I said, oh yeah, who's this James guy? Like, is he a, like a one man outfit or whatever? And she's no, 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 Art's age. I was like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I know that dude. Yeah. I know. I know of him. She told me to to message you on Facebook or something like that. Try hook up a meeting. So I messaged you on Facebook, but I didn't add you as a friend, and I didn't realize that if you don't add people as friends, the messages go into some weird folder that like you didn't see. So you never replied to me, and I was like, oh well, screw him and his company. I don't want to go working for him anyway. If he wouldn't even reply to me. Yeah, I ghosted you, man. That's what happened. <laughs> but then a few months later, I think somebody recommended me to you. And you added me as a friend and the message popped up. I think that might be how it happened. At least that's the story you told me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. No, no, for sure, man. Yeah, I was delighted to hear from you because that's just the way it is on, on those platforms. You know, if you're not friends, it doesn't yeah. pop up. Yeah. And come here. So you said you've done 15 trips for us now at this stage. Tell us a bit more of that. What trips have you done and what's your favorite trip? Cool. So everybody starts off with Kilimanjaro and work for Earth's Age. I think people know that. So that was my first trip. And for some strange reason, <laughs> that first trip, I loved it and enjoyed it so much that I kind of thought, you know what, I would love to do Kilimanjaro 10 times. And then for some even stranger reason, I made a mistake telling people in the office that I wanted to do it 10 times. So I kept doing lots of Kilimanjaros to start with. I did quite a few early on. I think my first three were all Kilimanjaros. Uh, and then I was kind of like, oh, maybe maybe I'll take a while before I do my fourth one. But I was reminded in the office that I wanted to do 10. So yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, keep, keep sending me on Kilimanjaro trips. So considering it's my first one and because I've done it so much, a, a real special uh, sort of bond or sort of passion for that mountain. I was just like, I've seen so many people go through the emotions to, you know, training beforehand, to going through the trip, to getting up on top of the mountain. I just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's definitely got a place in my heart in terms of uh, a mountain and a trip and a journey for so many people. So the amount of people, the amount of friends I've made out in Tanzania the local guys so yeah definitely that's got a place in my heart but it's hard to pick a favorite one i think you got to subdivide them into categories if you want an out and out non-stop jam-packed adventure yeah go do mount kenya 
like you just don't get a, you don't get a moment where you're stopped. You're like, okay, we're off the mountain. Okay, we're on a mountain bike. Oh, we're off the mountain bike. We're on a safari drive. Oh, we're off the safari drive. We're on a campfire picnic. Oh, right. Well, now we're kayaking, you know, a river raft. It's just, it's crazy. It's so jam-packed. But then there's like Island Peak has been pretty special. Getting above 6,000 meters for the first time. Getting a taste of what it might be like to do some higher stuff in the uh, in the Nepalese greater ranges. Like it was just, it was pretty cool. Crampons, ice axes, crossing ladders and crampons, that sort of stuff. Definitely like a taste of bigger mountains, which which definitely was cool. And then maybe some of the best trekking I've done would have been the approach to Stock Angry. I just thought that was phenomenal. I just think that entire region of India. So I know you're going to Kanyati soon. But I think that entire region is just phenomenal to trek in. It's so quiet, so so secluded, and uh, so pretty. Yeah, it was definitely uh, unexpected. Yeah, for sure. I sh- share that opinion, man. I, I, I love Ladakh. It's literally my favorite place to go hiking in the whole world. It's just, it just has everything, doesn't it? It's just so amazing. It's the people are so beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. The culture, the history, everything. Yeah, the mountains are like off the charts. But yeah, if I've got to pick one, I'm going to say Kilimanjaro. Yeah, yeah. Just, just out of the passion I have for it. Yeah. It's our local crews there as well. They really make it. You know, I think a lot of people are planning to climb this big mountain and they're focused on their fitness and, it's hard to relay to someone who hasn't been there how special it is to meet those guys and spend time with them on the mountain. They're just incredible people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you done our uh, Chucky Corral trek in Peru yet? I haven't. I was due to do it like two months' time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's a special one as well, man. It's just, I, I, I love that one. I'm really happy with the changes we've made to it. It's, it's doable, but it's nice and tough. You know, people know they've been on a, a tough multi-day trek, which is fantastic. What are your aspirations? Like, what trips do you want to lead for us? And then also tell me, like, personally, what 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 ideas of of big mountains you want to go climb with friends and and that side of things. I was due to be just back from Elbrus, like when you, when you were supposed to have gone and done something, and then you didn't get a chance to do it. I think there's this burning desire now to get it done. You know, but but above Elbrus, I I, I think Aconcagua has me kind of uh, maybe since I started climbing. I don't know why. Um, I've seen a few photos of it, but yeah, that's probably my dream trip. Um, for yourselves yeah there's a few others but yeah i think i can give you a stop of the list patagonia maybe for trekking would have been like super beautiful that that might be all-time personal destination list but i, I know we're not going there anymore but like definitely of the stuff we do yeah i can give have you any personal missions in the pipeline or things you're thinking about yeah definitely um like of so many missions like the, the list never gets ticked like it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger there's stuff closer to home the matterhorn i think would be on the list at some stage haven't got to do it yet. Um, haven't even got out that part of the world yet, that side of the, the Alps yet. You know, one that I've been thinking about a lot, and I've been asked to go on it, uh, on a trip to Amitablam, I think two times now already, and I've turned it down. It's starting to grow as something I want to try and go and do. Um, well, it's always been something I want to try and do. I sort of feel like now I, I actually should start planning, preparing to go out and do it. Been out there three times now. I've seen it three times, kind of had a good look at it a good long think about it and it's definitely something i uh i want to try and achieve with a couple of friends of mine there's there's two or three friends of we're, we're, we're chatting about doing it trying to do it in a, in a kind of a nice style uh yeah so i think we we'd enjoy going out and doing that with the blam there's a few mountains in peru pique my interest no i think I'll, i think i'll settle with like if i got the matterhorn and amateur blam done in the next two to three years i'd be pretty uh pretty happy with myself yeah i'm sure most of the listeners would have heard the matterhorn just to explain a little bit of Amadeblam, it's 
just under 7,000 meters in Nepal and it's uh, widely considered the, the most beautiful mountain in the world and you can you watch it almost every day on the Everest Base Camp trek so all of us going out there guiding we're always kind of looking at it and eyeballing it and kind of having a crack I was actually supposed to go uh, this November myself man but it got cancelled obviously but you know it's it's not going anywhere and we'll come through the, the COVID-19 yeah. what is it like that that you like about leading trips for us because you know it, it is a dream job really like, when you think about it but it's 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 really tough at the same time like I mean you're working 24-7 for 12 days you know you work through a long summit summit night but what is it that you love about the work easily it's got to be the experience of other people like you can't describe to somebody unless they've been there what it's like to summit a big mountain and when you see what people go through like i can think of certain people come to mind always in terms of the struggle they might have gone through you know maybe they're 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 struggling a little bit along the way or they're not feeling the fittest and they're starting to let doubts creep into their mind and then they have a really good summit night or maybe they don't even have a good summit night but they still get up to the top and the summit and, the, and you kind of you meet them on the summit you know you embrace and you're kind of like wow this is just like I, I know exactly what you're feeling they're feeling it for the first time maybe ever and you're like oh just i just know exactly what you're going through and it's that kind of bond that you share with people you start off you don't know each other you get to know each other a little by the time you're on the summit together you're your best pals you'd be hugging and kissing you know and then you come down you celebrate afterwards it's just the journey i guess it's such a such a complete mini cycle of experience you know Definitely watching how much other people enjoy it, what they go through to get there. That's got to be the best part of the job. But then just to get to see loads of cool places, you know, it's just like maybe somewhere that was never on my on my on my radar or my target was um, Annapurna Base Camp. And then I got to get out there last uh, last September, and it just or even Mount Kenya. Well, like going back down to Annapurna, it just blew me away. Just like to wake up at six a.m. and go out and watch the sunrise across a four-kilometer high, eight thousand meter. Uh, four kilometer high face of an 8,000 meter peak you're kind of going wow that's just the scale is off the charts you know and it's so beautiful you're watching the sunrise for about 30 minutes 40 minutes drinking a cup of coffee with about 17 layers on you <laughs> and you're just like this is amazing yeah some of the things I've seen just you know where are you going to get to see them you know I know beautiful mountains at home and a bright day is out but like these are just world-class things that have happened and to have seen them you know firsthand Seeing the sunrise or, or the sunset even in, in the Himalayas is just, it's incredible, isn't it? It's a special thing. But yeah. I totally agree with you, man. I mean, most people that sign up to our trips, not most, a lot of them, like, they don't have any hiking experience and they might decide of uh, after Christmas, let's say it's January, they're like, right, I need a New Year's resolution. And they sign up to Kilimanjaro for October that year. And like the journey they go on to have the, have the gumption to book the trip and then like you're leading them up a mountain and you turn around and this person maybe wasn't that fit at the start and to see them trucking up behind you and making a summit is just, yeah, for me, it's the most special thing about our job, you know, like yeah. I just I have so much respect, like they're heroes for me. I think it's amazing what people can do. It's so impressive. Yeah, just to see those people just get on with it, you know, they're, you know, they're struggling a bit, but they just get on with it. It's so cool. Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? Working in a bar in Kildare Town. What song is always on your workout playlist? Probably Eminem. What are you reading right now? Oh, I just got that new Irish Peaks book. I haven't actually started reading it, but uh, it looks really good. It's sitting in front of me here on the table. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Uh, Mike McCarthy, just because he's going to bring the phone. Yeah, you can always rely on Mike for that, all right. 
What is your favorite food to eat on the mountain? Bean curd curry, like vegetarian curry that we make in, uh, in India on the East Lakhangri trip. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like dream place to be a vegetarian. What's your favorite piece of kit? Uh, it's got to be my bag, my Osprey bag. Anyone that's been on a trip with me will know that I'm a bit of a nerd about that bag. What's your biggest pet peeve when traveling? Probably trying to decide if I'm going to get vegetarian or trying to, trying to figure out if I'm going to get good veggie food. Definitely veggie food. I've been a veggie. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Go rock climbing. Describe yourself in three words. <laughs> Friendly, motivated, easygoing enough. Tell us about some of your harder times or scary times guiding for Earth's Edge. The hardest thing to do, and it doesn't happen very often, like out of, out of the eight trips I've done up Kilimanjaro, I've only had two, and that's that's probably like 160 customers, maybe more, because I've, I've worked with you in a big, large group. We've worked with a couple of other guys in large groups, so I haven't always just done the like 16 to 1 sort of group size. I've done quite a couple of big ones, but... On three occasions, I had to turn people back, and that's quite a small number, I guess, out of out of uh, the overall number that's doing it. But each one of those people, like when you think of what they had to go through, um, you think the effort that they put in, and then you're sort of like you're the one that's like crushing their dreams, essentially. Even though you know it's it's, it's obvious at that point that you know that they've either not done enough fitness wise, altitudes got it got them, or they were just like super sick or something, you know, whatever it might be. So it happens so rarely, but like it's still a crushing thing to do. That's that's obviously the tough part, you know. You're kind of you're the one that has to like make the final decision and be like, look, I'm sorry, you know, this is the way it's got to be. And yeah, trying to trying to do it in as nice as possible, you know. It's never it's never nice, but yeah, because you know you want it so bad for people, and now all of a sudden you're 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 the reason, you know, that they turn them down. Not all the other reasons. Maybe like it's a, it can be a super stressful job as well, you know. On one or two occasions, uh, maybe with flights like kind of you're getting close to missing a flight and maybe there's something with the airline that's like oh i don't know if we're going to make this flight and that's going to mess up a few other things and you, you, you're running after like you're, you're you're after doing quite a big mountain you're already physically fairly tired you're mentally fairly tired it's getting towards the end of the trip and now you're having to do this logistical stuff and it, you know it starts to take its toll on you a little bit but yeah again that's few and far between and then the guys in the office usually have their have our backs on so many occasions there where it's like okay kind of need your help here and <laughs> ring in we're gonna ring for support and then you do get it so you know that's cool you're never on your own you work for our edge i don't know how many times i've whatsapped uh, another guide be like oh you know what what do you think of this scenario do you think i should do this or that and, you know i get some really good advice from the other guides that i work with especially when i started off they were really good to me louise john healy aaron yourself definitely got great advice from people so sometimes it's all that like it can get it quite heavy when you're physically depleted but I guess that's the nature of the job you know and you get better at it you, you manage it a bit better few and far between downsides when you compare them to the upsides of the job I guess we've all we've all had uh, failed summit attempts at, at different times you know and um, I think sometimes people can go out to climb something like Kilimanjaro with like you know I'm I'm, I'm prepared I'm, I'm all set and I'm going to summit this thing I can do it and just sometimes, you know, whatever it is, they don't acclimatize very well or there's, you know, they're maybe not as fit as they used to be or, you know, it's it's happened to me. I've I, I, First time I was uh, climbing a 6,000 meter peak in India back in 2004, I think. I didn't make the top, man, but, um, 
you go out to a mountain and hopefully if the mountain is feeling good, it'll let you up there. I think when we have a plan to definitely summit, no matter what, it, it can make our sport uh, quite dangerous. Um, yeah, for sure. I remember uh, getting a call from you. I think it was last year or the year before when you were in Peru and you missed your flights. And I ended up sending you halfway around the world through Canada to get home. I, I was like, what a mission, you know? Yeah. Tell us a bit about that one. So we, uh, we turned up at the airport in Cusco, the local uh, domestic airline the, 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 that we were using was in the process of maybe going bust, but they weren't quite sure. And it had just been announced that morning that maybe they were going to go out of business, but maybe they weren't. But they had a sister airline, so they were like, well, we'll put you on that flight. But like, just getting information was super hard. I, I think we were like five hours sitting in the departures lounge before we got any sort of concrete information. But we, we had a 12-hour layover in Lima, so this is fine, you know. We still had a seven-hour cushion for like a one-hour, 20-minute flight. So eventually we got onto this flight. The flight takes off. Somebody happened to turn on their uh, their Google Maps or something on the phone, and the flight was going in the wrong direction. It was going away from Lima to Bolivia to the, the border. And this flight stopped in the jungle out on the Bolivian border, and it picked up six people and then turned around and went back to Lima. So like the one hour 20 flight was now a three hour flight. And we got into Lima still with like, oh, we're going to make this work and this work. And I'd say the gate had closed like, I said, 10 minutes, like maybe 10 minutes. Anyway, we just lost so much time over the day. We just just kept losing time at every at every available opportunity. So yeah, we were like, the gate was closed. There was no way we were getting on this flight. Every airline office was shut in place so it's like nine o'clock in nine o'clock in lima which is about three or four o'clock in the morning for yourself and i have to put in the phone call to you yeah sorry we've <laughs> we've kind of missed our flights here obviously you knew the situation was developing throughout the day but i think we all just expected that we'd make that flight we ran through a couple of options about you know do we get a hotel for the night try to get a flight tomorrow try to get the airline to honor it but two separate airlines it wasn't the uh, international carrier's fault that we'd missed the domestic flight uh, it, it looked unlikely so yeah I, I remember you were just like right well give me half an hour and I'll sort it I was sitting there and all the, all the customers went off or half the customers went off to get McDonald's the other half were sitting beside me going like what are we going to do and I was like don't worry we're going to sort it <laughs> not quite sure how we're going to sort it but we're going to sort it and then this uh, this email came in like six people are booked on a flight to, to Montreal uh, with Air Canada I was like what is this about is this spam is it is it some sort of like hokey email so I looked at it and I was like oh wow they've got six of my clients names on this flight to Montreal who's all oh, right it's actually from James so next thing another another email came in there was like seven people booked on this the next flight and all uh, all 17 of us were heading to Montreal um, about three hours later so no overnight and no stay in Peru um, we were actually leaving like three hours after uh, after this time you know so yeah we uh, we took a circuitous route home we, we, we got to Montreal we had to wait in Montreal for the best part of, I think, eight or nine hours. Then we had to go to Toronto. And I'm pretty tired, so if people know Canada better than me, maybe we went to Toronto first and then Montreal. But I think it was Montreal-Toronto. On that flight, we had to split into three different flights. So three different flights brought us from Montreal to Toronto. So the first two went out, no problem. They were in Toronto waiting for us to the case. And then me, the doctor, um, Emma, no, not Emma, Adele, and uh, one of the customers, John, were sitting on this flight going, OK, well, at least we can switch off, you know, this, this whole debacle is over. And then, and then it just stopped on the runway before it took off. And yeah, there was a problem with that flight. The other guys have already landed at Toronto. We still haven't taken off in Montreal or something like this. So, yeah, so there was a last little bit of, little bit of hecticness to the trip. 
But yeah, we all got in. The, the flight landed at like gate 43 and we were departing from gate 44. So they let us, they actually let us run around to meet our next flight rather than making us go through the whole, um, the whole check-in process. And we all got on the flight to come home. It's pretty hectic to be, to, to be honest, yeah. It was a proper mission, man. I, I feel the same way as well. Like, you know, I think... Um, from the time you meet everyone in the airport in Dublin and you get them to the destination right up until the point where you start trekking there's so many different variables between flights buses hotels there's just a lot of stuff that's not in your control and can potentially go wrong and once you get guys onto the start of a trek or a mountain it's kind of like okay it's just me and the other variable really is the weather you know you're a lot more comfortable in that environment ah airlines man they can be they can be absolutely amazing, but then sometimes they could just really screw you over sometimes, you know, often through no fault of their own, but it's just stressful, isn't it? Going through airports, oh my God. For sure, the logistical side of it is is definitely one of the harder sides. Like like you say, when you're on the mountain, you're like, okay, I know this, I got this, this is dependent on us and the weather. Yeah, everything outside of your control is, is stress as well, yeah. Or can be, sometimes it goes swimmingly. Sometimes you get upgraded to first class, you know? Yeah, sometimes, man. Sometimes. <laughs> Are you the right on? Oh, look, you know, I just my name got picked out of a hat. Like Brian and I were working together on a Kilimanjaro trip and we fly there with uh, Ethiopian Airlines and we have a very good relationship with the airlines. So they, they kind of, they bumped me up to first class. So I felt great about it. You know, I told Brian I felt really bad, but, you know, perks of the job, you know. <laughs> yeah. You've met some amazing people. Like, do you feel it's a transformative experience for for I guess not everyone, but do you feel it's a transformative experience to come on this on one of the expeditions for people? Yeah, I can think of specific cases or specific people who um who definitely changed their life after it without getting too like oh you know this is very very and, and life changing. Well, like it literally has been for some people. I know one person in particular. He was a client of mine. My my fort. Uh, Kilimanjaro trip he he kind of struggled a bit he, he got to the summit he struggled a bit you know didn't have the best of time and I haven't met him since but I met somebody from that trip recently who's still in touch with him they said the guy's lost about five stone he's given up drink he's into training the whole time so he, he changed jobs because he didn't like his job it was like and uh, completely changed his life around him. And, like super motivated by getting into the outdoors and going training now all the time which it's it's, it's a great change to make you know? Um, I'm a really nice guy too like I really enjoyed his company so it's kind of cool to see that he, he, he picked up the ball and ran with it and there's others like that's just the first one that came to mind because it's a really recent conversation I had but like so many people I've met they're like okay I've had time to think maybe away from my phone away from TV away from the office away from work away from maybe even family members or partners whatever it might be and they just get so much time to think and go, it might be the first time in their adult lives that they've got like this time to reflect hiking all day you know um some people love to chat all day some people love to keep themselves some love some people love to do a little bit of both but like definitely the time to reflect is on those trips my most recent trip i know it was just before lockdown we got out to kilimanjaro and i definitely know there was people on that trip who were like okay i've got to make some positive changes and changes in my life to me it was the the lack of distraction that made them come to that decision you know you don't have your phone for the most part you might have your phone but like you're only playing solitaire on it because you're not getting internet connection so uh you're probably listening to a few pre pre-downloaded podcasts yeah other than that you're not getting internet for the most part so it's great you know you don't have these distractions we have so much in everyday life you know you don't have to worry about putting the bins out or paying ta- car tax or stuff you know it's all there waiting for you when you get home but you know for the time being it's on pause if you're looking for a change in your life or if you're looking for that kind of like you need to make a few decisions 
geez, what better way to do it than sort of let yourself through the ringer and come out the other side and maybe you'll get the answer somewhere there in the middle. You know, you, you've been away with a lot of people now. Like, if you could give some tips or a top tip to someone who's like thinking about doing something, a big mountain or a long trek, you know, what advice would you give them or what mistakes do you see people commonly make or, yeah, whatever, what top tips would you give people thinking of doing a big climb or long trek? So the first thing I would say is you don't have to be some super athlete to go and do these things. You don't have to be like doing a triathlon every second weekend, but you do need to be fit. The fitter you are, the more you're going to get out of it. You know, like if you're struggling a little bit every day and looking at your feet, well, then you're not looking at the beautiful scenery around you or having the chats to the people in the group. So by all means, the fitter you are, the better it's going to be for you. So while you don't have to like buy the 2000 euro bike and start cycling like every night after work, just, just keep doing a little bit of training all the time to work up to your trip, you know, especially cardio stuff. I see people doing the wrong type of training, like lifting weights for the upper body. It's not really going to help you as much as pounding out the pavement, jogging or cycling or swimming or just going for a hike. You know, the best training for being on a mountain is going on a mountain and doing it back to back day after day. So, you know, if you did three hikes in three days on a bank holiday weekend, it's probably going to be way better than lifting weights. It's definitely going to be way better than lifting weights in the gym. But, you know, everyone can't get to the gym, uh, get to the mountains every day. So do what you can in the gym or in your house before you go out. And just really focus on that, like solid fitness. Like you'll have a way better time. Buy the right gear. And all I know a lot of people sort of look at the price of things sometimes and say that's expensive. When you add it to that, that's expensive. But if you're if you're miserable because you didn't buy the right gear, well then what was the point of spending all that money on the trip in the first place? You know, so borrow it, rent it, buy it, whatever you do. Just make sure you turn up with good gear. Take the advice of the people that are, are, are take the advice of your guide. I see a lot of people handing out advice on forums after doing one trip and it's what worked for them. But like the advice from me would be stuff I've seen over nearly probably 300 clients on 15 trips. So I've seen what works for everybody or for the most part works for everybody. So, you know, my advice might carry a little bit more weight than the person that's done the trip once. Who's giving you that advice and is there much credence behind it? Just try to do the fundamentals well. I see people as well on forums who are like, oh, I'm going to take this supplement because it's supposed to help you with altitude and I'm going to take this because it helps with altitude. It's like if you rest or sleep really well, so like, okay, some people struggle to sleep soundly, but like if you don't get freaked out about that, you just close your eyes and rest and relax, then your body's recuperating. So if you rest and relax overnight really well when you're in your tent, then that's one of the fundamental cornerstones to, to recovering for the next day. You got to drink loads of water and you got to eat loads of food. Your calorie intake is massive. It's increased massively um and you gotta you gotta eat appropriately and then your your water intake the same so i think if you do those three foundations really well then most people have a good time but if you start scrimping on one like if you start cutting back on your food because your tummy's a little bit unwell and you're like well i don't know if i can get this down me it's like well have you tried getting down you know like have you tried getting these calories that you need into your body so you kind of have to push yourself a little bit physically but also push yourself in the uncomfortable zone of, yeah, my stomach's a little bit weird, but, you know, I've got to eat, I've got to get calories inside me. Food, water, sleep, if you do that right, well, then your trip's going to go fine, I think. I'm no athlete by any means. I'm no, like, physical beast, but, like, I'm really, really good at doing the basics well. I'm really good with just getting on with it. And when I'm sick, I eat. And I get sick, too, from time to time. But I do eat. I don't skip on the calories. I drink the water. 
sometimes I'm like, oh, of all the stresses of this trip in the world going on in my head in the tent at night, it's like, you know, listen to some music and I'm going to try to get some rest because if I don't, well, then there's going to be more stress tomorrow when I'm tired and stressed. So yeah, just those fundamentals are a big trait for me. That's great advice, man. Thanks for that. Tell us a funny story from one of your trips at Earth's Edge. If anyone ever has the pleasure of going on a trip with Marianne Timmons, go on a trip with Marianne Timmons. She is a regular client in Earth's Edge and she's a one-woman comedy show. She's absolutely amazing. So um, yeah, I, I just from the moment you meet her, from the moment you leave her at the airport, uh, she's just going to be having you cracking up. Personally, though, oh yeah, actually on Marion's trip, I went to Stock Kangri with her. I had a suspect bit of food in Dublin airport and, and got food poisoning in Dublin airport. It sort of kicked in by the time we landed in Amsterdam, heading on to India. And uh, yeah, so I wasn't feeling really good in Amsterdam. By the time we boarded a flight to India, I wasn't feeling great at all. I was sweating pretty hard and I wasn't very coherent. But, you know, the doctor was beside me, Sarah, and she was like, yeah, it's okay, just, you know. Sitting there beside me, it'll be fine. Once the flight takes off, it'll be fine. But the air stewardess and, and the air steward, they um they thought it after stopping in Amsterdam and taking all the drugs or something like that. So <laughs> they actually were asking me that they want to leave the plane and spend the night overnight in Amsterdam. I had like 15 clients behind me saying, No, 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 it's fine. This guy's fine. He's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. He's 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 our, our trekking guide. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be looking after us. You can't get him to leave the plane. But I could barely speak to the guy, you know, I couldn't make eye contact with him. So yeah, it's kind of funny in a weird way. Oh my God. Um, That's hilarious, man. It'd be, that'd be a funny call back. Like I'm stuck in Amsterdam, a few calling the office to say, yeah, the clients have gone home without me. I'm, I'm still here. I'd be like, <laughs> what? You wouldn't let me leave. Yeah, Marion, I've met Marion a few times. Um, I haven't been on a trip away away with her yet, but she's uh, coming to Kangyatsi in India with us in August 2021. So I'm really looking forward to being away on a trip. I've heard she's absolutely mighty crack. So that's going to be fantastic. Brian, your business, Climate.ie, seems to be going from strength to strength. Uh, congrats on that. Tell the listeners uh, what kind of services you provide. Cool. So I do a lot of different mountaineering and climbing sort of style courses. So if you wanted to learn like mountain skills navigation, I would do that. Learning how to use a map and compass for the first time, let's say. Bring that on to if you want to become a mountain leader, lead other people in the hills. So I do ML training. I provide that. I do a lot of rock climbing instruction as well. So people who want to learn how to transition from the indoor climbing gym to the outdoor uh, trad climbing scene in Ireland. So a lot of learn to lead trad climbing stuff do a lot of uh, rock climbing instructor training courses, training people up to be instructors, a bit of mountaineering work as well. So maybe instructional work where people want to get self-sufficient in the mountains, want to learn how to basic rope work for mountaineering and scrambling. And then also I do a lot of guiding um, work where I might bring people rock climbing on sea cliffs or guided scrambling and climbing on Howling Ridge and in, in Karen Tool, um, that sort of work. So it's a real mixed bag, which I think I need. Uh, obviously, I do the, do the guided hikes for yourself, the guided uh, expeditions for yourself. I don't actually work for any other company. It's really just yourselves that I work for freelance. Few and far companies in Ireland that I want to work with, uh, yourselves are one of them. But yeah, kind of a mixed bag, trekking, guiding, hiking, mountaineering, climbing. People who are thinking of climbing a big mountain like Kilimanjaro, they can get in touch with you with some, for some pre-training Absolutely. Yeah. So what I love doing is teaching people how to use a map and compass themselves so that they can go and climb loads of different mountains to get preparation for a mountain like Kilimanjaro. Um, I do a bit of guided uh, hiking as well, where I bring people out on guided hikes. But 
it's kind of a thing. I actually get a lot of satisfaction in making people self-sufficient so that they can, you know, use all the mountains in Ireland to train rather than just like knowing one mountain. Maybe people know the spink in Glendalock really well and just do the spink over and over again, which, you know, yeah, you'll get fish, but you might get a little bit bored of it after a while. So definitely, yeah, people can get in touch with me if they're thinking of getting into the bigger mountains and want to train or want the direction to go in. And even if I can't bring them out myself, there's like a network of our guides who I'm always happy to answer people's emails or point them in the right direction if I can't do it. So if there's someone working in an office right now and they're like, I want that guy's job, tell us a little about a typical week at climate.ie. Okay, so last week, what did I do? I went to Connemara and I taught uh, mountain leader training courses, two separate mountain leader training courses over about five days. So a lot of day courses. There was a couple of night navigation where I was teaching people how to navigate in the dark. And then an overnight camp to finish it off where we camped up over Killery Ford on a mountain. Then Monday, I was teaching teaching a one-to-one course actually with an Arts Edge client, a guy called Marco Flaherty, who's been to Everest Space Camp with John last year. And he's interested in getting out on, uh, like getting self-sufficient in mountaineering. So I was teaching him a one-to-one sort of anchor building rock climbing course. And then yesterday, I was teaching a group of people here from Clare that exact same course, all indoor rock climbers who want to become self-sufficient and be able to set up their own systems and not hire a guide or rely on friends. And I'm off today, thankfully, because it's been seven days in a row and it's tough enough on the on the body. Tomorrow, I'm going down to do Howling Ridge on Carnzool with um with Connor that used to work for yourselves. Very varied work from navigation to rock climbing to mountaineering in the space of a week. Amazing, man. And just uh, for the listeners, just give us um, a shout out to your, your website and different social handles. My website is climbit.ie. My Facebook profile then will be just climbit. My Instagram page is at Brian underscore Bates. Yeah, because in the office, no, I'm not great with the old tech. <laughs> you and me both, I man. Got a, I got an Instagram tutorial from Elle over the phone prior to one trip. I think it might have been Anna Parna where she actually showed me how to use stories on Instagram. Elle, um, the listeners might know, she runs our operations, so she's the, the brains and the manpower behind uh, all of our expeditions. But because we're, we're not running trips right now, she's doing our social media. So um, she likes to let on that she doesn't know much about it, but she's an absolute wizard. She's really, really good at it. So yeah, she's always showing me pointers. Not that I use social media myself too much, thankfully, but... Um, Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed our chat. Cheers. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.